need weed everywhere, but not a place to smoke besides your own home. Sorry, tourists. But after five years of advocacy, all that is set to change. The state of Nevada recently adopted brand new laws allowing for cannabis consumption lounges. And as of last month, the city of Las Vegas says they're in. Applications open on October 14th, so a bevy of new venues are set to open, possibly as early as 2023. Those who qualify will then be randomly picked. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Chris Laporte, founder of Reset, a cannabis consulting agency. He's set to roll the dice on winning the Consumption Lounge Lotto, and he'll discuss the path that Las Vegas took to get to this point and what our city and its tourists have to look forward to. It's Thursday, October 13th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Hello, Chris Laporte. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hello, David Figler. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. And I know you are always involved in a lot of cutting edge things that come to our communities. And now you're involved in cannabis. For the longest time, it was only medical, and then it turned into recreational, but there were a bunch of limitations on where you could consume it. So what's changed? What's new? So at the end of the day, what we saw happen when recreational cannabis was legalized was you can buy it, but you had no place to smoke it outside of your home. And knowing full well the you know massive tourist attraction that Las Vegas is, we kind of put ourselves in the corner in terms of a tourist asking, well, I bought the weed, where can I smoke it? And the answer is always not here. And that yeah, wasn't right? a good enough answer. <laughs> there's, so, there's like 44 million people who come here, and I don't know what percentage of that would be like, wow, Las Vegas has legalized marijuana. I'm going to go buy me some. Then they go buy it and boom. Yeah, that yeah. question, right? You're in the wind parking lot. So, you know, <laughs> not the best of all the parking lots, but still a parking lot nonetheless. When the city of Las Vegas first looked at the opportunity to create cannabis consumption lounges, the law passed. And then the state said, uh-uh, no, that's not going to happen. Because rightfully so, we needed to have more people looking in on the space. And so that was then the development of the Cannabis Compliance Board, you know, a regulatory body, no different than Nevada Gaming Commission in terms of scope in looking at a somewhat illicit practice. So Vegas is really good at marketing sin, right? So after the CCB was established, the work that we did back with the city starts to kind of rekindle. And now after all these years, yes, we have a fully you know, passed law that allows for social use lounges, which I, you know, really like to kind of call it, you know, the, the, the bars of the future. Now, how long did all that take? I'd say this took a course of almost, you know, five years wow. to finally get to where we are today. Yeah, to, to get on the precipice. Uh, so I think there is already a consumption lounge on the Paiute tribal land at the the big Nuwu dispensary. So that facility, which I think is called the Vegas Tasting Room, it is under a different set of regulations per se than we're talking about right now because there hasn't been one licensed use lounge for any part of the Las Vegas Valley yet, right? Well, that is correct. Just know that we did utilize their experiences to understand how to put these regs together. 
Sweet, sweet. Okay, so how how many of these licenses is the state of Nevada going to give out? Do you know? So it's hard to really estimate because basically the cannabis dispensaries that are currently licensed are grandfathered in if they want to open up a adjacent space. On top of that, there are 20 licenses total in the state that will be going to independent operators. Of those 10, 10 or so for social equity applicants, the other 10 will be for anyone who has the $10,000 to spend. Okay, so we're going to probably see a bunch of these lounges attached to existing dispensaries, and then there's going to be 20 new ones. You, you mentioned 10 of them are going to be social equity set-asides. Real briefly, what's, a, what's that mean? What's a social equity license entail? So social equity license is an opportunity, and I'm going to steal the line from the CEIC, uh, which is a fantastic organization here in Las Vegas. But it essentially is a pathway to ownership for those who are most impacted by the war on drugs. Okay. So this is, is the state trying to correct some of those inequities that perhaps some communities felt the brunt of with really harsh drug laws that Nevada had in the past? Is that the idea? Let's take, let's take the word perhaps out and say, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where do the lounges get their marijuana from? So the lounges will be purchasing their marijuana from the current cannabis licensed dispensaries in Nevada. Okay. They, they can't go buy it wholesale from uh, production facilities that are out there too? So unfortunately, that is clearly something that has been brought to everyone's attention. And it is you know something that I think that over time we'll start to see as the market develops that things will change. Okay. So for right now, the lounges have to buy it retail from dispensaries. What other challenges are there for the consumption lounges as far as these regulations go? What are some of the big regulations? So I don't see any of these things as challenges, and this isn't me doing any spin. It's just the fact of the matter is this is a new industry. And one of the things that we want to do is instead of kicking the door down and saying, ha ha, we're here, you know, let's just kind of put our foot through the door slowly and get it ajar little bit by bit and understand what we're really, you know, dealing with. Because we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, the regulatory side of this did have, you know, perhaps heavy handedly the air quality in terms of air movement, where you have to see 30 turns of air per hour, uh, you know, and that's in comparison to, you know, standard, you know, let's just say bar restaurant maybe does that five times, you know, so we're very aggressively ensuring that we are creating a space that is safe to breathe in. And I'm 100% behind that because it's not just consumers, it's the employees, but that's an expense. I think, uh, you know, people would be interested to know that if they go into one of these lounges, there's some things that they're not going to get there. They're, they're not going to get alcohol there. They're not going to get, they're not going to get gambling there. Those things have been excluded. One, one other thing I want to ask you though, is the experience, maybe even the profitability between the lounges that are attached to existing dispensaries and those that are kind of standalone, if you will, uh, that don't have that same affiliation? Are there different challenges in profitability between the standalones and the ones attached to existing dispensaries? So one of the things that I've been prophetic about is that, you know, Everything is going to be a lot harder if you're an independent license holder. And I'll basically make the point, if you own a bar in Las Vegas and you don't have gaming, you're not going to be that successful of a bar. Know that from experience. 
However, it doesn't mean that you don't keep trying to make something new because some people might have a little bit of a better advantage, but I still think it's slight because any successful one of these lounges that open up is going to have more than one revenue stream. If you're going to open up a place where you're just selling weed, yeah, it's going to be a little bit challenging to compete with some of the dispensaries because they do have certain you know advantages because they're making their own product per se. Yeah, that is what it is. But, you know, whether you want to open up something that's more of like a movie theater and allow for weed, great. You could sell food and beverage there as well. There's no drinking. I still am very much, you know, a hard stance that I don't want to see people what we call crossfading where people are smoking weed and then drinking a shot of a fifth of, you know, vodka or tequila. No, thank you. That's going to get messy later on. Again, to my point earlier about taking this little by little slowly and learning what this market really is and how to properly operate with this community. So yes, to your original point, the independent licenses will have challenges, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for to kind of dispel these myths about the big bad corpse where, yeah. you know, these uh, cannabis dispensaries and these currently licensed holders, they have a lot of weight on their shoulders with the, you know, bills and taxes and the things that they do. Yeah. I don't see them as being a, you know, some kind of ruthless landlord here. I think we want to see this market grow collectively. And it's kind of the reason why, you know, I personally am working with as many people as possible to ensure that this market does succeed. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And that's why we have you on is because, you know, you were, you're, in in the in the weeds, if you will. I'm sorry, puns are just right <laughs> there. There's no getting around it, Chris. Um, but you know, in building up what are hopefully going to be these successful models. But you know, also there are a lot of challenges out there, and you know, I, I appreciate your optimism and looking forward to what you can do. But you know, we're hearing in this industry, taxes are are rough for some people. Some of the regulations and compliance is both arduous and expensive. The National Cannabis Industry Association found that, at least their claim is, that 37% of operators aren't making any profits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that a, a, a worry to the lounge operators when they look at that bigger industry like you just talked about having its own struggles as well? Here's why I don't, and I don't want to be overly optimistic because actually my normal, you know, perception of everything is skeptical as all get out. But that's why I'm in this space because I am truthfully optimistic about this from the perspective of look at cannabis as a startup business. Okay. You know, there's a lot of money going into it and it's going to keep funding money into it until it finally gets on its feet and it becomes the industry that we can see it to be. You know, this is a $24 billion industry today. There's a lot of businesses in cannabis that are just hemorrhaging money. Just it's setting it on fire, but it's because regulatories are kind of overreaching. But give it time, you know, we see this legal cannabis industry doubling by 2026 from 24 to 48 billion in the course of four years. Again, if you can't see the forest from the trees on this, fine, you know, that's your vision. But there is a real opportunity because it's just a completely untapped market. And if you get in first and if you time it right, you will succeed. So we've been talking about these, you know, regulations finally being set. Um, People are starting the application process. How is that going to work? How are we going to know which of those 10 social equity and 10 other and even the dispensaries got approved to, to do a lounge for cannabis consumption? So the Canvas Compliance Board is professing a very transparent process here. You know, even when it comes to the application process and winning a license from an independent perspective, it's going to be through a random number generator. And everyone put your tinfoil hats on if you'd like, you know, (laughs) 
it's going to be a random number generator. And you're going to see who what those winners are. And if you really want to know, you'll be looking at their website to find out. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of media behind it to say who has one and who, who doesn't. And that's just, that's what it is. The luck of the draw. We're in Vegas, baby. Now, everyone who puts in has to put in a, a big fee and they have to qualify because they have to show that they have a certain amount of liquidity of, of money uh, available to them, right? So That's correct. Do you think that creates a barrier for some of these social equity applicants to have to pay these fees and, and show all this equity of liquidity and then they still might not even get a license? So go to the Vegas vernacular of hedging your bets. I do see this as an opportunity, regardless of the challenges that are there from this perspective. If you're a cannabis dispensary license holder, you're looking at $100,000 to get a license. I will tell you that there are liquor licenses in New York right now that are going for two to $300,000. Okay. If you go to Independence, it's $10,000. Non-refundable standalones, standalones. $10,000 $10, okay. set of money on black, hope it comes up, otherwise it's red and it's gone. $2,500 for the social equity applicants. And oh. if $2,500 still is a challenge, I still go again, hedge your bets, hedge your bets, hedge your bets. Hey, you might have yourself a million dollar lottery ticket and you can go online right now with some of these sports betting things and you think your bet's going to win and you can actually sell it for a little bit more than it's worth today. That's how you have to look at these application opportunities. $2,500 for a million dollar business opportunity. Yeah. I mean, if it comes through and people mm -hmm. know what they're doing, score obviously. One of the critiques that came up, and I know you're a guy who focuses on the positive, uh, was that you know there was a concern about driving after a lounge visit. So how are cannabis consumption lounges going to be dealing with that issue of liability for customers who might overconsume or making sure customers don't overconsume or stuff like that? I mean, so, you talked about bars. I mean, that's the kind of the analogy. Right. And, and that's what I love about this. Again, I think we're still in this very much normalization phase where, where there's so much that we just don't know and the general public isn't aware of either. But last time I went to a nightclub, I did see some people who were passed out. <sighs> you know, and these are things that are going to happen, perhaps. We can now protect our consumers from doing that by just being a little bit more, you know, just aware. And from our perspective as operators in these lounges, we are putting together these traffic safety rules and these traffic safety plans where we want to ensure that people are coming and perhaps ride sharing is right the first thing they're thinking about before coming to a lounge. And there are ways that you can do that, whether it's, you know, with your reservation for the space, letting us know that you are in fact going to ride share and offer a bonus because you did that by being responsible. Well, look, anytime you can incentivize people to not drive and consume, or I'm just going to say this, Chris, not drive in Las Vegas <laughs> if right. at all possible, because those streets out there, man. Look, 50 years ago, we gave away shrimp cocktails so that you can go and lose all your money on the casino floor, right? We're going to give away rideshare programs. And I, let me not say give away because that's going to get expensive, but there's definitely going to be ways to, you know, soften the cost and work with our community. Yeah. I mean, and, and they do try to do that with bars. I know there's these, what's what's called dram shop laws. Yep. And I know that that was the model that people were looking at. In fact, we even talked about regulation that disallows uh, cannabis lounges from towing vehicles if they're there overnight because, you know, people are doing the smart thing and not having to worry about their car being towed. So all that's pretty And cool. I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, that's definitely something that, you know, again, working with the regulators, we came up with some pretty cool ideas that as an operator, I feel very comfortable sharing. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's all about community impact, right? You want to be able to operate a business that seamlessly fits into our community. And despite our reputation in Las Vegas, Sin City, everything goes or whatever, we're also a place where people live and kids go to school and et cetera, et cetera, uh, that are going to be impacted by any business. And there's a lot of a lot of bias, you know that, uh, about what happens if there is a dispensary in your neighborhood. What are some of the complaints, though, from like neighbors uh, that you've been hearing all along? Uh, and is that conversation pretty much over because of these regulations? You know, with the traffic safety that you brought up earlier, right, and just the idea of being very much hands on to ensure that we do this right coming out the gates. I still laugh at this, you know, situation where <clears throat> I used to own a nightclub slash lounge where I think I had between eight to 12 security guards at any given time because something bad might happen. I really don't foresee that much, you know, the negative stigma and impact of people just enjoying a joint while having a sip of a drink or eating a cheeseburger to the extent of someone, you know, 14 drinks in and wiling out on St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, I, I just really want to take this slowly and show our neighbors and show our community, you know, we can be the gold standard of this industry. We can do this better than most others. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of thought, but like you hear things about specific things like, oh, it's going to smell up the neighborhood, mm -hmm. right? What? How do you... There's technology what was the to, to that, right? There's technology for that, where there's different kinds of vapor that you can use that actually absorbs the, you know, the molecules of smell. There's again, the air quality movement that we're doing. There's lots of filtration systems. Go into the Venetian. Tell me how that smells. It's, it's going to be handled. What kind of creativity are we going to see in the types of lounges that are, are bouncing up, Chris? So this is what I'm the most excited about. This is why I'm so, you know, rose-tinted glasses guy as of late. <clears throat> it's just that anything's possible because you know, I make the joke. If you went to a concert and didn't smell weed, was it a good concert? Right? Like, there's art classes. Yeah, I've heard that's a thing. Massages. Yeah, sure. I heard that's a thing. Add anything that you enjoy doing and add cannabis to it, and it might be a little bit more fun. So, you know, whether it's music entertainment, whether it's other kinds of services, whether it's health and wellness, whether it's, you know, a barbershop, anything is possible if you can make it a viable business opportunity. And I think, you know, you have a chance to be as creative as you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I hear theater, I hear comedy club, I hear mm -hmm. entertainment, I hear food service and food, yep. food infusions uh, that fit within the rules. Uh, full disclosure, you're, you're going to be operating a specific dispensaries lounge for which one? Yeah. I'll be working with the Thrive Dispensary Group. Thrive. Okay. I just want to make sure we got that out there. So absolutely. Know, it's, no, it's really and, and, and you know, again, another reason why I was excited to work with them because they do have a community aspect. You know, they have been working closely with the CEIC alongside our reset group, right? We want to see this market grow. It's all good things for everyone. All right. Final question. Mm -hmm. If you had a dream night out at a cannabis lounge that wasn't the Thrive Dispensary Lounge, one that you had nothing to do with, but it's just you out with your friends having fun, what does that look like? Do we had a Blue Note Jazz Club here in Las Vegas once upon a time? We did briefly on Fremont yeah, Street. That's right. I went to the one in New York growing up, but no, I would just love to see, you know, remember jazz. <laughs> jazz. All right. All so that Chris, jazz. Chris, Chris Laporte's answer is I want a lounge that has real deal jazz. Yeah. Skibbity dibbity. Jazz hey, fingers. Man.
What a fun convo. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and good luck to you and, and everyone that's involved in this new endeavor. Chris Laporte, thanks so much for coming on CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you, sir. And now it's time for a little news. What's going on, Vogue? A lot's going on. First up, Clark County will soon get a new eviction diversion court that's expected to launch next month. Why? The Las Vegas Justice Court typically deals with 30,000 evictions a year, but this year it's grown to over 45,000. And how's this for offbeat news? Las Vegas will soon host the world's first punk rock museum. It'll be on Western Avenue and will be chock full of punk rock memorabilia, artifacts, interactive exhibits, even a tattoo parlor and wedding chapel. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. So are you going to check out a weed lounge? What sort of entertainment do you hope is there? Call us at 702-514-0719 and tell us what you think. Also, send this episode to a friend, rate the show, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We love your emails, too, like this one from Christy C., who listened to our episode on the gubernatorial debate and says, Thanks for the unbiased take. Breath of fresh air with all the pre-election poo-flinging out there. Thanks, Christy. We like to be relatively poo-free. And we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. And on top of that, imagine this 30 years ago, you had to smell jupe and Old Spice. That didn't smell very good either back then. Yeah. Ugh, I still have Axe flashbacks.